Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about pre-eclampsia. And you can find written notes on this topic at zerotofinals.com slash pre-eclampsia or in the antenatal care section of the Zero to Finals Obstetrics and Gynecology book. So let's get straight into it. Preeclampsia refers to new high blood pressure or hypertension in pregnancy with end organ damage, notably proteinuria or protein in the urine. Preeclampsia occurs after 20 weeks gestation when the spiral arteries of the placenta form abnormally, which leads to high vascular resistance in these vessels. We'll talk about this pathophysiology in more detail shortly. Preeclampsia is a significant cause of maternal and fetal morbidity and mortality, with injury and death to both the mother and the fetus. Without treatment, it can lead to maternal organ damage, fetal growth restriction, seizures in the mother, early labour, and in a small proportion of people, death. Preeclampsia features a triad of hypertension or raised blood pressure, proteinuria or protein in the urine, and edema, which is fluid building up in the tissues. Let's go through some basic definitions. Chronic hypertension is high blood pressure that exists before 20 weeks gestation and is long-standing. This is not caused by dysfunction in the placenta and is not classed as preeclampsia. Pregnancy-induced hypertension or gestational hypertension refers to hypertension occurring after 20 weeks gestation without proteinuria, without protein in the urine. Preeclampsia is pregnancy-induced hypertension associated with end organ damage, notably proteinuria or protein in the urine, suggesting that the kidneys are damaged and leaking protein. Eclampsia is when seizures occur as the result of preeclampsia. Let's talk about the pathophysiology. The pathophysiology of preeclampsia is poorly understood and the following is a simplified explanation. When the blastocyst, which is the very early pregnancy, first implants on the endometrium, which is the lining of the womb, the outermost layer of the blastocyst, which is called the syncytiotrophoblast, grows into the endometrium. It forms finger-like projections which are called chorionic villi. The chorionic villi contain fetal blood vessels. Trophoblast invasion of the endometrium sends signals to the spiral arteries in that area of the endometrium. These signals reduce the vascular resistance in the spiral arteries and make the spiral arteries more fragile. The blood flow to these spiral arteries increases and eventually they break down and leave pools of blood which are called lacunae, which means lakes. Maternal blood flows from the uterine arteries into these lacunae and back out through the uterine veins. Lacunae form around 20 weeks gestation. When the process of forming lacunae is inadequate, the woman can develop preeclampsia. 
Preeclampsia is caused by high vascular resistance in the spiral arteries and poor perfusion of the placenta. This poor perfusion of the placenta leads to oxidative stress and the release of inflammatory chemicals into the mother's systemic circulation, leading to systemic inflammation and impaired endothelial function in the mother's blood vessels throughout the body. This systemic inflammation and the impaired function of the blood vessels leads to the features of preeclampsia, notably high blood pressure, protein being leaked through the kidneys into the urine due to dysfunction of the kidneys, and fluid leaking out into the tissues causing edema. Next, let's talk about the risk factors. The NICE guidelines categorise the risk factors into high-risk and moderate-risk factors. High-risk factors are pre-existing hypertension, previous hypertension in pregnancy, existing autoimmune conditions, for example, systemic lupus erythematosus, diabetes, and chronic kidney disease. Moderate risk factors are being older than 40 years, a BMI above 35, more than 10 years since the previous pregnancy, multiple pregnancy, meaning twins, the first pregnancy, and a family history of preeclampsia. These risk factors are used to determine which women are offered aspirin as prophylaxis against preeclampsia. Women are offered aspirin from 12 weeks gestation until birth if they have one high risk factor or more than one moderate risk factors. Next, let's talk about the symptoms. Preeclampsia has symptoms of the complications, meaning a headache, visual disturbance or blurriness to the vision, nausea and vomiting, upper abdominal or epigastric pain, and this is due to the liver swelling, edema or fluid building up in the tissues, reduced urine output, and brisk reflexes. Next, let's talk about the diagnosis. The NICE guidelines from 2019 advise a diagnosis of preeclampsia can be made with a systolic blood pressure above 140 millimeters of mercury or a diastolic blood pressure above 90 millimeters of mercury. However, as well as having a high blood pressure, they also need to have any of proteinuria, meaning one plus or more of protein on a urine dipstick test, evidence of end organ dysfunction, for example a raised creatinine, elevated liver enzymes, seizures, thrombocytopenia or a low platelet count, or hemolytic anemia, or placental dysfunction with evidence of fetal growth restriction or abnormal Doppler studies. The exact amount of protein in the urine or proteinuria can be quantified using a urine-protein-creatinine ratio and a level above 30 mg per millimole is significant or a urine-albumin-creatinine ratio and a level above 8 mg per millimole is significant. The NICE guidelines from 2019 recommend the use of placental growth factor testing on one occasion during pregnancy in women suspected of having preeclampsia. 
placental growth factor is a protein released by the placenta that functions to stimulate the development of new blood vessels. In preeclampsia, the levels of placental growth factor are low. NICE recommends using placental growth factor between 20 and 35 weeks of gestation in order to rule out preeclampsia. Next, let's talk about management. Aspirin is used for prophylaxis against the development of preeclampsia. It's given from 12 weeks gestation until birth to women with a single high risk factor or two or more moderate risk factors. This reduces the risk of them developing preeclampsia. All pregnant women are routinely monitored at every antenatal appointment for evidence of preeclampsia, with a blood pressure check, checking for symptoms and a urine dipstick test for proteinuria. When gestational hypertension without proteinuria is identified, the general management involves treating to aim for a blood pressure below 135 over 85, admission to hospital for women with a blood pressure above 160 over 110, urine dipstick testing at least weekly, monitoring of blood tests weekly with a full blood count, liver enzymes and renal profile, monitoring the fetal growth by serial growth scans, and testing for placental growth factor on one occasion. When preeclampsia is diagnosed, the general management is similar to the management we just discussed for gestational hypertension, except scoring systems are used to determine whether to admit the patient, which may involve the full PEERS or PREP-S scoring systems. The blood pressure is monitored very closely at least every 48 hours. Urine dipstick testing is not routinely necessary because the diagnosis has already been made. And there's ultrasound monitoring of the fetus, amniotic fluid and Dopplers every two weeks. Let's talk about the medical management of preeclampsia, starting with the antihypertensive medications. Labetalol is the typical first-line antihypertensive in pregnancy. Labetalol is a beta blocker. Nifedipine, which is a calcium channel blocker, specifically modified release nifedipine, is the commonly used second line antihypertensive. Methyl dopa is used third line, and methyl dopa needs to be stopped within two days of birth. And intravenous hydralazine may be used as an antihypertensive in critical care in severe preeclampsia or eclampsia. IV magnesium sulfate is given during labour and in the 24 hours afterwards in patients with preeclampsia to prevent seizures. Fluid restriction is used during labour in severe preeclampsia or eclampsia to avoid fluid overload. Planned early birth may be necessary if the blood pressure cannot be controlled or complications occur. Corticosteroids are given to women having a preterm birth in order to help mature the fetal lungs before delivery. The blood pressure is monitored closely after delivery and the blood pressure will return to normal over time once the placenta is removed. In terms of antihypertensive medical treatment after delivery, 
Nice recommends switching to one or a combination of enalapril, which is an ACE inhibitor as first line, nifedipine or amlodipine, which is first line in black African or Caribbean patients, and labetalol or atenolol, which are beta blockers as third line. In women that are breastfeeding, these antihypertensive medications can cross into the breast milk and affect the newborn. Therefore, the newborn may need some extra monitoring. Next, let's talk in more detail about eclampsia. Eclampsia refers to the seizures associated with preeclampsia. Intravenous magnesium sulfate is used to manage seizures associated with preeclampsia. Magnesium sulfate is continued for 24 hours after the last seizure or after delivery, whichever is longer. Finally, let's talk about HELLP syndrome or HELP syndrome. HELP syndrome is a combination of features that occurs as a complication of preeclampsia and eclampsia. It's an acronym for the key characteristics. H stands for hemolysis. EL stands for elevated liver enzymes and LP stands for low platelets. A final Tom tip for you. It's worth remembering these symptoms as they may come up in your exams with a patient presenting with a low hemoglobin, elevated liver enzymes, low platelets and a raised blood pressure in pregnancy and the diagnosis is HELP syndrome associated with preeclampsia. So thanks for listening to this episode on preeclampsia. As always, a big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about gestational diabetes.